want everybody to quickly pull out that um, little card that says more than words on it. Just pull it out and just want to um, just share with you a couple of things here real, real quick that are important. Um, if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that, that it's unbelievable um, what's happened here at Big Valley Grace. Um, there are more people, believe it or not, that are attending Big Valley Grace than ever before. And uh, lots of new young families are, are coming. And we had to retool the, um, the Youth Activity Center so that we could fit folks over there. And on any given Sunday over there, there's 200 plus people over there worshiping the, the Lord. And, and a lot of these are brand new families that God has brought. And brand new families bring lots of new children, and you'd be amazed at the number of children that are on this campus over the course of the weekend. It's, it's really unbelievable. And um, we were just led by the Lord to begin a brand new ministry here um, that really is reaching out to young marrieds that are basically zero to, to seven years they, they've been married and uh, really focusing in on them to be a blessing to them. We, we, we do have a, a special event coming up this Friday called More Than Words. It's our married life event, but we're really zeroing in on a particular age bracket, and that's those that have been married less than seven years. And uh, we want you to be a part of it if you fit in that group, or maybe you know somebody. Uh, the tickets are $10. There's going to be a great time of fellowship and worship. We have desserts, and it's really going to be great. There'll be a, a time of encouragement to all of those that are in that uh, age bracket. Um, and and we, we, we don't want you to miss out. And after the, the, the gathering here, you can go right outside, and there's a kind of a big wall out there, and you can purchase those tickets. And it's really, really important that you're a part of that. Well, along with that, we, we knew we needed to have a pastor that oversaw that group. It's, it's hundreds of couples. It's unbelievable. And um, we knew who the right soul would, would be, and I want to introduce them to you right now. That's Mark and Tammy Clements. Come on up here. Would you give them a hand as they come up? Um, some of you know this already, but, but Mark has been on the staff here at Big Valley Grace for a long, long time. He is the pastor of adolescent care. He works with the teenagers here at Big Valley Grace. Tammy is the secretary in our youth department. And this church, literally, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students that have been blessed by Mark's ministry. He really has been a, a counselor over there to students that are just falling on difficult times. He's been a blessing to a lot of families. He has been a leader at our Mexico outreaches and a number of things over the years. And when we were dreaming about this new ministry, we knew Mark was the guy who needed to maybe make a shift and take over and be the, the pastor of this group. And so when I met with him, after he threw up, uh, he... <laughs> He really started feeling better uh, about, about the whole thing, but there was that whole night. You got to know Mark, uh, his dear friend. He immediately threw up, and then he started praying about it and thinking about it. And uh, Mark is the, the, the pastor of this ministry. If you are a new or, and, and you know, you fall into this age bracket, and there's something happening in your life, 
you need to call them up. In fact, on the other side of that little uh, uh, card, it, it'll give you some, some thoughts on what this new ministry is about and about small groups and getting them together and with mentor couples. We have a number of godly people that have stepped up and said, I'll be a mentor couple for a small group. My wife and I are excited about being a mentor couple to these um, young families in our church. You can see some of the events, some of the social things that will happen with this age bracket, and then the contact number down there. If you are in need, you need someone to pray for you, there's just something happening in your marriage or whatever, Mark's a guy, and you want to call him, and uh, I just know that God's going to use this new ministry in an incredible way. And to kick it off, what we need to do is we need to pray for them. And so if you're a pastor, an elder, would you guys all make your way up here real quick? And what I want to do is just kind of gather around them and pray for them, pray God's blessing on them as we kind of kick off this new ministry in church. I'm going to ask you right now to, to, to stand, wherever you are. Just go ahead and stand, and uh, you amen this prayer, okay? And continue to pray for Mark, Tammy, and all these young couples that God has entrusted uh, to, to us, all right? Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for all of these young couples that are coming here to Big Valley Grace. And you've entrusted them to us, that they belong to you. But you've given them to us, and we have the responsibility to love them, care for them, shepherd them, Lord. I'm grateful, Father, that you would give us somebody like Mark, Tammy, people who love you deeply, and because they love you, it translates into love for others. They love their church. God, uh, they have been used in incredible ways to impact the kingdom, especially as it relates to young people. And I think about this new assignment that you have for Mark now. And I have no doubt, Lord, that you are going to use him to impact these young couples, Lord. Pour out your favor on him, Lord. Give him great wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon, as it were. And Father, we as his church family will commit ourselves to be praying for him. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, would you give it up for Mark and Tammy one more time? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Blessings. Blessings well, you can take your Bibles and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, we um, started a, a new series here last week entitled Devoted, where we're looking at how to build or how to have a, a, a great marriage. And we kicked it off by looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 last week. The Bible says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And beloved, in my opinion, this is the key passage in all of the Bible as it relates to marriage. It's the key passage to having a good marriage. God says that when you get married, when you say, I do, there are some things that you have to let go of. And there are some things that you have to hold on to. Last week, I, I told you about three things you have to let go of. Number one, you have to let go of your parents. You have to let go of other relationships, brothers, sisters, good friends, whatever they might be. And you have to let go of past problems. 
And I shared with you, that doesn't mean you, you don't hang out with your parents or you don't hang out with your brothers, your sisters, relatives, or friends. I shared with you that it's more of a psychological cutting of the umbilical cord, if you will. Because if you don't let go of these things, you'll never be able to fully hold on to the one thing that you're supposed to hold on to, and that's your spouse. You're to let go of some things, and there are some things you're to grab a hold of. Marriage is about the joining together of a man and a woman. They come together. They come together and hold on to one another. Some Bibles use the word cleave. It literally means to adhere together, to stick together, to glue together. That's what marriage is to be. And when you're still holding on to your parents, you're still holding on to other relationships, you're still holding on to past troubles and problems, you're never going to stick like you should to your spouse. I shared with you this illustration last week of um, these two pieces of paper. And the blue piece represents the man and the pink piece represents the woman. Uh, Mark and Tammy on Friday night had a wedding in here for their youngest daughter. And uh, the man was standing up here on the platform. His name was Jared. And Mark, there came a moment when Mark and his youngest daughter, Carissa, made their way down the aisle. And here they were standing up on this platform before God and before witnesses, human witnesses. And there came a moment when they said, I do. They made vows to one another. And these two individuals became one. They were letting go of their parents and friends and all those things and past problems. And they were coming together. They were going to cleave together. And uh, I actually glued these two pieces of paper together. This is the representation of marriage. The, the two have become one. Now, when a divorce happens, two people have cleaved together, they're holding on to one another, and a divorce happens, um, it's not real clean, never is. It's, they're always kind of ugly. And no matter how quickly it happens, no matter how it goes down, there's always a part of the other person who's attached to you. It's never simple or painless when a divorce happens. It's not supposed to be. Because two people have let go of things and they've come together and now they're, they're joined together and, and now you're doing something that, that's unnatural. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not clean. It's It's painful. And last week I received, I couldn't even count how many emails from folks that have been through divorces, some multiple divorces. They've ripped themselves apart on multiple occasions. And they said, Pastor Rick, you're absolutely right. It's painful. Now God is in the business of forgiving us and redeeming us and, and he can take crummy things and somehow he uses them to his glory. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying here.
the undoing of two people that have come together is, is a difficult thing. So with all this said, I, I want to get into um, today's message. I, I want to begin by giving you a, a, a few statistics. 11% of the adult population right now in America is divorced. 11%. Statistics say that about 25% of the adult population right now here in America has at least one divorce. In America, about 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. About 65% of all second marriages will end in divorce. About 75% of all third marriages will end in divorce. We as Americans have one of the highest, if not the highest, divorce rate in all of the world. And it ought to grieve you. It just ought to grieve you because let me tell you something, that's a lot of pain, that's a lot of sorrow. I was thinking about this, if GM or Ford produced a car with these kinds of statistics, you know, a car where half of them were falling apart on the road, it'd be, con it'd be considered a national epidemic. In fact, you'd see all kinds of legislation coming from the government to do something about it. But it seems as if no one cares about this epidemic we have called divorce in the United States of America. I got an email last week from somebody. Um, they were a, a visitor. I'm sure they're not going to come back. I'll clean up a little bit what they had to say to me. Why are you making such a big deal about divorce? So a marriage doesn't work, it's not like it's the end of the world. And that seems to be the attitude that we have here in the, in the United States of America. What's the big deal? Everyone's doing it. I read this quote in a secular magazine a number of years ago. Quote, the landscape is littered with the victims of the divorce epidemic. Ex-wives raising their children alone, former husbands trying to start new lives while at the same time, you know, be good fathers to their kids that they only see on specific days. And children themselves are often torn between warring parents. I saw that as the youth pastor here for 20 years. Listen, as long as I have breath, I'll make a big deal about divorce. Because it's a crummy thing, and it hurts people. It hurts children. In fact, if I could make a law, this would be my law. If you want a divorce and you have children, um, the child gets to stay in the house, and the parents have to pack their stuff every other weekend and move to the apartment. Let me tell you something. That's no fun for a kid. That every other weekend they gotta pack their stuff up, 
leave their friends, leave what's familiar to them, and go to some parent's house where they don't know anybody hardly. And then they move back, and then, the, and then they got to unpack all their stuff, and every weekend they pack their stuff, and, and they leave and go somewhere else. The problem is kids don't have any power. So they're the ones stuck having to do it. Adults would never do that. You wouldn't want to do that. It'd be a drag, but that's what we make our kids do. I know, I had to do it. Now, most of your kids aren't going to complain. They want to, be, they want to see their dad. They want to see their mom. So if they've got to pack up their stuff and their teddy bears and all that stuff, they'll do it. You can write me all you want and say, hey, man, what's the big deal about divorce? And I won't even take the time to respond to you. It's a big deal. The good news is, is this, is that we serve a God. We sing to a God. I talk about a God who, who does love us, and he cares about us, and he forgives our sins. He does. And he redeems us, and he can make, you know, some beautiful things out of, out of things that are crummy. He, he can do that. And my, my, my point isn't to beat anybody up or poke anybody in the eye. I'm just... I'm just talking about reality here. And sometimes when you talk about reality, it may offend you, it may hurt you. Today I want to talk about why so many marriages die. Why so many marriages end up in divorce. And my prayer is, is that, you know, if this is your first marriage, praise the Lord. I, I hope it's your last one. If it's your second or third or fourth or whatever, I can't do anything about the past, either can you. But you can certainly make some decisions about this one. And if you're single, look, man, zero in on what I'm talking about here. It may save you a lot of pain and heartache somewhere down the road. And I realize that God has, has, has created some of you that, that, that you'll never marry. And that's God's will for your life. Or you'll never remarry. I understand that God does that, but there are still some wonderful principles in God's word as it deals with relationships. So God has something to say to each one of us. You're going to hear from the Lord, I, I, I guarantee it. Listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and if you don't have a Bible, they're in your notes and they'll be on the jumbotrons. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the floods rose, the winds blew against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Those were the words of Jesus. Jesus is telling you that the key to a strong house is to make sure that it's built on the right foundation. That, that way, when the rains come, or the flood waters rise, or the winds blow, your house will still be standing when it's all said and done. Now, there may be a little damage, but your house will still be standing. And the same thing is true in your marriage. You see, I believe one of the biggest reasons marriages die is because they're unprepared for the inevitable storms that come into every marriage, and, and they come. So today, I want to do my best to get you ready for these storms. 
so that you don't become a part of those statistics I just read a minute ago, okay? Storm number one, here we go. You and your spouse need to be prepared for the culture you live in. This is the first storm. This is the, the rains that, that came. Beloved, the Bible tells us that, that our culture is going to get crazier and crazier as we get closer to the return of Christ. Now, every generation thinks that they're in the end times. Every generation. And I know some of you think we're in the end times. And we might be. But they have thought we were in the, to- in the end times since, you know, G- you know, Jesus was around. Biblical days. I don't know whether we are or not, but I do want you to listen to these words from the great apostle Paul. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred, They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then he says, stay away from people like that. Now, I don't know about you, But that sounds a whole lot like today. It sounds current. In fact, pick up your Modesto B today and just read it. And put it right alongside what Paul said right here. And I can understand why some would say we're in the end times. But let me tell you, like I said, every generation, they've had their reasons why they thought they were in the end times. I don't know. I just read that and I go, wow. Now, I wish I had time to go through every one of the things that Paul mentions here, but I, 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 I don't. I do want to cover three of them, okay? Th- these three things will kill and erode your marriage. These are cultural things. Number one, humanism will erode your mar- marriage. Paul said people will become utterly self-centered. Humanism is the desire to put me first. It's the attitude of, i got to do what's best for me. Humanism basically says, I want what I want when I want it. And when you have this attitude, your marriage will never work. Now, I suppose if you're single, you can have this attitude to some degree. But once you, you get married, me becomes we. you got to say what's best for us. Really, you have to say what's best for my spouse. When I do marriage counseling and a couple comes in and one of them says, you know, we're just not, you know, compatible. We're just incompatible. That's a code word for selfishness. It means you're not willing to change. You're not willing to give in. Everything has to be your way. The culture of humanism has crept into your life. 
and now it's crept into your marriage because it's now about you. Number two, materialism will erode your marriage. Paul said people will become, you know, greedy for money, stuff. Beloved, it's unbelievable how many marriages have been ruined because of materialism. You bought things you couldn't afford, which then led you to become so overcommitted and overextended trying to keep up with all the payments that you just didn't have time for one another anymore. You needed the bigger house, you needed more cars, you needed all the stuff, which means you had to work more, you just you had to do more things, and paying off all the credit cards, and you just, you didn't have time just to be with each other. Now you had a beautiful set of ski sitting in the garage that you were making payments on. But the culture of materialism just crept into your life. Couldn't get a handle on your bills. Just kept buying more and more stuff. Another great example of how materialism affects marriage is the prenuptial agreement. I saw this BC cartoon where BC is looking up the definition of a prenuptial agreement in the dictionary, and this is what it says. This is a cartoon, by the way. Quote, prenuptial agreement is an agreement between two people who love each other almost as much as they love their possessions. <laughs> Isn't it funny where you can find incredible truth in a cartoon? Now, I think there are times when a prenuptial agreement is needed, like when there's been a divorce or two and Maybe there's a business that the ex-wife had or you, you know, I, you know. But for the most part, a prenuptial agreement isn't needed. It's a document that basically says my stuff is my stuff and it's always going to be my stuff, but I love you. I heard about a, a lady who married four different husbands, a millionaire, a film producer, a butler, and then she finally married a funeral director. Well, someone uh, asked her why she did that, why she married these four men, and she said, well, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> that's, not, that's not right. How does that get it? That's just not right. I got it. I don't know how these things end up in here sometimes. I, I, it's just not right. It's wrong. Number three, hedonism will erode your marriage. Paul said people will love pleasure instead of loving God. This is the playboy philosophy of life. You know, if it feels good, do it. Forget what's, you know, moral. Forget what's right. Just do whatever makes you feel good. Morality? Hmm. What's right? Forget it. Will it make you feel good? Then just do it. A man wrote to Dear Abby, quote, I'm in love and having an affair with two different women. I can't marry them both. Please tell me what to do, and don't give me any of that morality stuff. <laughs> Abby's answer was just 
classic. She said, Dear Sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> ah, that's, just, that's classic, man. That's really great. Man, that's, that's pretty powerful. In 1990, Barbara Bush gave an incredible graduating speech at Wellesley College where she cautioned against, you know, placing your career, you know, over your marriage and, and family. And let me just challenge those of you that have computers, you got to Google that in. Just Google in Barbara Bush, 1990, Wellesley College. It's about a 10-minute speech, and you can watch it on, on YouTube. It is unbelievable. It's about 10 minutes long, very powerful. She was not the college's first choice. They didn't want her there. The majority of the students had signed a petition saying, we don't want her here. It's an all-woman's college. But they invited her anyway, and I want to read to you just a portion of the speech. It's just powerful. She said, as important as your obligations as a doctor, lawyer, or business leader will be, you are a human being first, and those human connections with your spouse, your children, with friends are the most important investments you'll ever make. At the end of your life, you'll never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. But you will regret time you did not spend with your husband. You will regret time you did not spend with a friend, a child, or a parent. If you have children, they must come first. You must read to your children, hug your children, and you must love your children. Your success as a family our success as a society depends not on what happens in the White House, but what happens within your house. And let me tell you, at that college, that took guts. And I just, take 10 minutes of your life when you get home and just watch her give the whole entire speech. It's really powerful. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, it says this about a particular group of people. It says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And all these men understood the signs of the time. They understood the culture of the time. And then they knew what best course for Israel to take. Beloved, today, probably more than ever, we need to be like these people from the tribe of Issachar. We need to understand the times. We need to understand the culture that we live in. And then how, you know, we ought to respond as believers to the culture. And how should we as Christians respond to this first storm? A culture that says, me first, money first, pleasure first. Well, I think what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 is a good place to start. The great apostle Paul said this, he said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't, don't, don't copy the, 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 the culture of, of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Beloved, the word transformed in, in the Greek means metamorphosize. So what Paul's saying here is, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God metamorphosize you into a new person. By changing the way you think, I want you to imagine a, a caterpillar making its way up a tree, and it gets onto a tree branch. 
It spins its cocoon. And then a butterfly flies out. I mean, just think about that. That's what metamorphosis is. Beloved, this is what God wants to do with you. He wants to metamorphosize your life. He wants to transform you into something beautiful. He wants to transform you into something that would bring great honor and glory to Him. You see, the culture is conforming you. God wants to transform you. When I was a kid, I'll bet you some of you had one of these, those Play-Doh makers where it had a handle, and then you put Play-Doh in the thing, and then you push down on the handle, and it forced the Play-Doh to come out, and you could put something in front of it, like a whole bunch of little holes, and you'd press down, and, you know, like spaghetti would come out, or a star would come out, or a square would come out. That's what the world is doing to us. It's trying to conform us into something. The culture is trying to conform us into a star or a square or whatever it might be. God says, no, I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed. I want to take you and, and you know, transform you into something totally different, new. I want to transform you into a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, how does that transformational process happen? How does God metamorphosize your life, my life? Beloved, it only happens one way, and that's by changing the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. And, and how do you change the way you think? You change the way you think by filling your mind with God's Word. It's the only way you're going you're to be transformed. Everywhere you go, you walk out your front door, there are billboards that are conforming you, uh, radio stations that are conforming you, television conforming you. There's only one place where you can fill your mind with things that will transform you, and that's the Word of God. Warren, Warren Worsby said this, great quote, he said, when the people of God look into the Word of God and see the glory of God, the Spirit of God transforms them into the very likeness of God. Let me say that again, because it was just beautiful. When I saw it, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. That's unbelievable. Warren Worsby said this, when the people of God look into the Word of God and see the glory of God, the Spirit of God transforms them to be like the Son of God. That's what God is doing in our lives. He wants to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ. And that only happens when you renew your mind. That only happens when you spend time in the, in the Word of God. So let me ask you, how many minutes a week do you spend reading the Bible? For some of you, it might be the few verses that we look at in here. On a, on a weekend. And that's better than a sharp poke in the eye. That's better than nothing. How many of you are involved in Sarah Women's Bible studies? How many of you are involved in our men's Bible studies? 
How many of you are involved in um, uh, a small group where you study the Word of God together? Some of you are brand new believers. Wednesday night, we started the brand new follow class. And here at Big Valley Grace, if, if, if someone gives their life to Christ and it happens here every weekend, what we do is we immediately get them into the follow class where, where they get a little book and there's eight little lessons where we help them begin to understand what it means to follow the Lord. And, and I'm teaching this semester. And Wednesday night, we had 100 a, a people that showed up. And, and Pastor Rick Thompson and I, as these people were all coming in, I, I didn't recognize a single one of them. Yeah, I've known the Lord a week. Hey, I gave my life to Christ two months ago. Uh, yeah, I'm brand new at the church. I don't know anything about the Lord. And we were just looking at all these young people and, and going, and it was exciting. Because we know that they're learning things from the Word of God, that their lives would be transformed, that they would begin this process of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. How many minutes a week do you spend in God's Word? Beloved, this might be one of the most important questions you'll ever answer because it literally determines what your life or your marriage is going to be like. Number two, you and your spouse need to be prepared for the crises you're going to live through. This is the second storm, if you will. This is the the floods that rose I read a study that listed the top 12 stressful crises that a marriage can experience. Let me give you a few of them. The the number one crisis that a marriage experiences is the death of a child. And um, I've never experienced the death of a child. I certainly have experienced it through family members here at the church. Let me tell you something. That's a crisis. I mean, you want to talk about putting stress and strain on on a marriage. Wow. A jail sentence was number two. One of the spouses has to go to jail. An unfaithful spouse was number three. Major financial difficulty or bankruptcy, a business failure, uh, being fired, miscarriages or stillbirth, unwanted pregnancies, Major illnesses in the family like cancer, things like that, heart disease, the death of a close friend. Some of these crises are inevitable, okay? They, they will come into your life. They will come into your marriage. And here's the, the bummer to a certain degree. They usually happen when you least expect it. So you wake up one day, you know, and you're drinking your coffee, reading your paper, and bam, out of nowhere, A crisis hits. The floods come. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 69. He said, save me, O God, from the floodwaters, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Most of us could have written that at one time or another in our lives, couldn't we? Most of us could have written that at one time in our marriage life. Man, I read that three or four times this week, and every time I read it, I just go, man, I've been there. I've been there. 
You feel like you're, you're going under for the last time. Beloved, what do you do when your marriage is in deep water? What do you do when you're in over your head? It's going to happen. And you need to be prepared for it. Listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. God said in Isaiah 43, don't be afraid. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Beloved, when you're in over your head, when the floods come, when the unexpected crisis hits your life and marriage, I want you to remember three things. Number one, remember God says you have nothing to fear. God says you have nothing to fear. You don't need to be uptight. You don't need to get worried. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your marriage. And whatever the crisis is you're going through, God's plan for your life, God's plan for your marriage is bigger than the problem. In fact, he's going to use that trouble in an incredible way to draw you closer if you'll allow him to. Yes, you're having problems. Yes, it's a crisis. But the floodwaters always recede. In the era that we live in with cameras on our cell phones and all of that, we've all seen the, the floods, the tsunamis that come. And we, we, we see whole towns that are underwater. But then what happens? There comes a moment when the floodwaters recede. Always. Always. If you're there now, or you ever find yourself there, listen. Remember, God says, don't be afraid. Number two, remember, God is always with you. He says, when you go through deep waters and great troubles, I will be with you. Now, here's the, here's the thing about us humans. You're going to feel like God's not with you. The crisis hits, and you're going to feel like he's not with you. And I, I, I remind you all the time, your feelings don't have, any, have an IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are. Jesus didn't say, your feelings will set you free. It's the truth that sets you free. And the truth is, God says, he's with you. That's the truth. You may feel a particular way, and I can't do anything about your feelings. Like I said, I can't educate them. All I want to do is just tell you the truth so you can base your life and your marriage on truth. The truth is, you have nothing to fear. You need to remember that God is with you in the midst of it. Which brings us to number three. You need to remember just to keep trusting in God. He finishes up Isaiah 43 by saying, when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Beloved, that's a promise you can count on. Now, now you may get wet. 
you may have some damage done to the house. You may need to replace a window or a door or something, the carpet. But you just keep trusting in God. You're not going to drown. Why? Because God's with you. God's with you. And he has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your marriage. Now, it doesn't say that when you go over the floods or when you go around the floods, it says when you go through them. If I was God, I'd have you go around them. I'd have you go over them. I'm not God. And God says, no, you're going to go through them. And I'll use that in your life. I'll use that in your marriage to help conform you, transform you into the very human being I want you to be, the man, the woman. I'll use that to transform your marriage. You're going to go through it. You're going to go through it. When the crises of, of life come into your marriage, basically you've got two options, okay? Number one, you can either walk through it together, whatever the crisis is, or you can walk out. You can walk through it together as a team, face it together, or you can walk out. Listen, if, if your marriage isn't built on the right foundation, when the crisis flood comes, they'll sweep you off your feet and you'll drift apart and eventually walk away. I see it happen a lot. Marriage isn't built on the right foundation. Something happens, the, the rains come and the floods come and it, it, it knocks them off their feet. It sweeps them away. And the next thing you know, they don't see them in church anymore. They're separated. They're divorced. And it was because a crisis hit their life. And they didn't have the right foundation. So what's the key to coping with a crisis? The key is commitment. Commitment to each other and your marriage will you know, carry you through the crisis. You've got to be committed to it. Commitment, listen, means being willing to be miserable for a while. Commitment means being, being willing to be unhappy for a while. Look, if you've been married at any length of time, there comes moments when um, you're not necessarily happy 24-7. There are times in a marriage when you're not happy. Something goes on, there's tension, you're mad. But commitment says, even though right now I'm not happy, even though right now I'm, I'm, I'm mad, I'm upset, it doesn't mean I'm going to run out and divorce. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaving together. We came together. We're glued together. And right now I'm unhappy. Right now I'm mad. Right now I'm, I'm whatever. And you may have a legitimate right to be mad and upset or whatever. But when you're committed, you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to be miserable for a while until we work this problem out. Instead of walking out, you hang in there even though it stinks. Even though you're really unhappy, you hang in there until you, you work it out. That's commitment. And sometimes you have to go... Talk to your, your minister or a good friend or you need to go see a professional Christian counseling. Sometimes that's what it takes to work it out. The willingness to forego happiness for the purpose that the relationship may ultimately find satisfaction. And let me tell you something. I see that happen here all the time. Two people come in and they're just... Ehh. 
but they're committed to one another. And wow, you just, you just see this beautiful thing happen in their life. They work it out, whatever, whatever that thing was. Listen, the fact is you made a, bound, a binding uh, vow before God. You promised till death do us part, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And here's the thing, God expects you to fulfill that commitment. You, 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 you made a covenant with your bride. You made a covenant with your husband. And God's expectation is, is that you're going to fulfill that. You stick it out because the floods will recede. I promise you. I promise you. And num- number three. You and your spouse need to be prepared for the changes you're going to live with. This is the third storm. This is the, the winds that blow, okay? Uh, beloved, change is a part of life, okay? It's a big part of life. It's inevitable. Everything changes in time. Everything except for God. He doesn't change, but everything else does. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, to everything there's a season and every time for every purpose under the sun. And this includes your marriage. Your marriage has seasons. Your marriage has stages. There's the honeymoon stage. Remember that? Uh, Carissa Clements and Jared Lee, now are one. Um, They're on their honeymoon. That's an incredible stage. That's an incredible season. Unbelievable. There's the childless couple stage. There's going to come a moment when Jared and Carissa, you know, they're going to come back and, you know, they're not going to have a child. And so they're going to be able to just do whatever they want to do, go bowling, go putt-putting, go to movies. They can do anything they want, anytime they want. Remember that? Remember that? Some of you are going, I've been married so long, I don't remember that. <laughs> I, got, I got a hard time remembering what I had for breakfast. I don't I remember this stage, the decision whether to have children or not. All of a sudden, there's going to come a moment in time when Jared and Carissa will start talking about that. Hey, what do you think? I, don't know. I thought I would be a horrible dad. That's why I waited so long. I just thought I, I just didn't think I'd be very good at it. Like I said, my parents divorced when I was younger, and I just, I just didn't think I'd be a good dad. And so, man, I just was afraid to bring a a child into the world. And let me tell you something, when my first child popped out, and you know, now all of a sudden I'm a dad, for about the first year, I was, I was a horrible dad. Horrible. I didn't, know what, I didn't know what to do with them. Their neck is, you know, I'm, their neck could flip and break, and, and, and I was always stiff, you know, and I, I'd hold my child for like five minutes, and I'd just be exhausted because I, I'm just, you know, and their, their head, I didn't, you know, their head, they look like lizards. I, 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 didn't know, I didn't know what to do with the thing. And then I'd watch my wife and other people, and it's like they're throwing it to one another and washing their heads, and I'm, oh, man. But there came a moment, another stage, where all of a sudden, their neck, you know, I don't know, stiffened up. I don't know how that works, Doc. But, and then I, I could do things, and I became an incredible dad. There was a season of about 13 years where, wow, I was fantastic. And then, and then they hit the teenagers, and I, I went crummy again. So <laughs> horrible, unbelievable, 
horrible again. It was this whole bookend thing I got to figure out. And some of you remember that. Your marriage went through these different stages. A lot of you in here, you're at the empty nest stage. A lot of marriages, yeah, someone said amen. But but you know what? For a lot of people, that's hard. Because for 18, 20, you know, 30 years, you're just children. (laughs) Some of you are going, hey, look, man, my kid never's leaving. I had a retirement stages. You see, we change. That's my point. And if you don't learn how to adapt to change, you know what? Your marriage is just going to be in trouble. You got you to deal with the changes that come. One of the most common complaints I hear is this, Pastor Rick, my spouse isn't the person I married, and I always say, of course they're not, and neither are you. You're not the person your spouse married. Because we're always changing, we're growing, we're developing, we're, we're deteriorating. We change emotionally as time goes on. We we change intellectually. We change spiritually in our commitments. We change physically. Change happens. Change is inevitable. So I want you to make the commitment to love your spouse for the rest of your life, no matter what kind of winds of change will come. I personally have committed my life to loving her, Aaron no matter how she changes. And let me tell you, she's changed. I've changed. I went to a funeral on, uh, on Friday and hadn't seen some of my old friends uh, um, for oh, 30, 35 years, people I went to school with. And we're all sitting around a table and we were all eating and we're all looking at each other. And one of them said, um, Look at all the gray hair. (laughs) See, the last time we were together, man, we were all like in high school. The good news, Sam, is we had hair, but that's a a whole other, I know, I'm sorry I even brought that up. Um, The change his family had to go through. He lost his hair. Some of us have been around here a long time, and we've seen each other change, haven't we? And if you're not committed, let me tell you something. Oh, well, my spouse changed. Well, of course they did. And you've got to be committed to staying with them regardless of the change. So what's the secret of coping with the, the winds of change? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances may be. I'm, already, I'm ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives in me. Paul says there are three attitudes you need in order to cope with the changes that are going to happen in your life. Number one is contentment. When things change, you just have to learn to be content. And contentment means, you know, enjoying the present. Don't, don't say when my, my, you know, when my kids finally get out of the house, I'll be happy. Or when, when I finally have kids, I'll be happy. Or if I can get a bigger house, I'll be happy. No, don't let your circumstances be the source of your happiness. When change takes place, be content. Number two, flexibility. Paul says, I'm ready for anything. 
be willing to adapt. You're changing all the time, and so is your spouse. And one of the great secrets of a successful marriage is the ability to grow and change together instead of being stiff and unwavering, which just leads to growing apart. And then last but not least, number three, faith. Paul says, I'm ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives within me. You need to say, I'm trusting Christ to help me with the changes that I'm going through. I'm trusting Christ to help me with the changes my spouse is going through. You've got to be content, flexible, and just, just have faith. Beloved, I guarantee you that the rains will come to try to somehow erode your marriage. Guarantee it. I guarantee you that the floodwaters will rise to try to somehow wash away the foundation of your marriage. And I guarantee you that the winds will blow to try to somehow shake the structure of your marriage, which means you have to have a good foundation. In fact, it's the key to having a good or great marriage, having the right foundation. Remember what Jesus said. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's the, what's the right foundation? Listen to me, the right foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God has placed Jesus Christ as the one and only foundation. The right foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the glue that holds you and your spouse together. Some of you are here and you know the Lord and for whatever reason you, you've gotten away from Him. Let me tell you what today needs to be. Today needs to be a day of repentance for you. All repentance means is, is that you've been going a particular way. You've chosen to live your life a particular way. You've chosen to live your life contrary to what God says. Today needs to be the day where you turn and embrace Jesus Christ again. You embrace His way of doing life. And I guarantee you, that'll make a difference in your marriage. Some of you are here and, and you don't know the Lord at all. Maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe this is the first time you're here and God has opened your eyes to the truth that you don't even know Him. You don't even have a foundation that you're building your life on, your marriage on. And today needs to be the day that you say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Come into my life and forgive me of my sin. I want to make you the foundation of my life. I want you to be the foundation of my marriage. Some of you are here and your spouse knows the Lord and you don't. And I know you've heard from God. I know it. And in just a moment, we have an altar room here. There's an altar room in the, in the, in the venue. And the spiritual leaders of the, of the church are there and they would love to pray with you. They'd love to lead you in a prayer where you could receive Jesus Christ in your life for the forgiveness of sin and He could now become the foundation to your life and to your marriage. For some of you, you might just want to grab your spouse's hand here in a moment and go into the altar room and say, you know what? We're in the midst of one of those storms. We've bought into the, the culture and it's messing up our lives and our marriage. 
We've got a crisis that's happening right now in our lives, and it's, boy, it's really working hard to drive a wedge in our lives. And let the spiritual leaders of the church pray with you. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It might be the only thing you need to take your marriage to the next step is simply to have a spiritual leader pray for you. Now you can run out of here and get in your car and go eat or whatever, and your marriage will never change. Or maybe for some of you, just say, honey, come on, let's go in there. The preaching's done, okay? The singing's done. The giving's done. The praying's done. But God's not done. He's not done in some of your lives. He's not done in some of your marriages. What God wants to do is have you find one of our spiritual leaders. And that's what the altar was for. Please take advantage of it. Please. Last week, we just heard of some incredible miracles that are taking place already. Simply because of prayer, people stepping out and saying, I'm, I'm committed to this thing called my marriage. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment? Let me, uh, l- l- let me pray for you. Father, thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for how you're at work here at our church. Thank you for this incredible book that just has some wonderful information on how we can live our lives to your glory and have the greatest marriages on the planet, Lord. And I pray that many would would take a step right now and go and make Jesus Christ the foundation of their life. Maybe some would repent of their sin. I pray that many would go into the altar room and say, I need prayer. I'm in the midst of one of these storms. Pray for me. Pray for my spouse. Thank you, God, for your your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen.